Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and like always, I have my co-host, Matt, here with me. The preseason is officially in the books. The New York Jets with a 2-2 two and two record over their extended four-game preseason in 2023. Matt, I know, about, I know how you feel. We are ready for this season to begin. We are all wrapped up with the games that are real games that don't count. We are ready for the actual games to start counting, keeping score. September the 11th, Monday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills cannot get here soon enough. But first things first, we got to talk about the most recent game action against the New York Giants, the quintessential Snoopy Bowl, as it is uh, well known. New York Jets were able to come out on top. We saw the New York Jets starters for a couple of series on both offense and defense to begin the game. Did not appear like any of the Giants starters were playing. So you would hope that the Jets would be the up have the upper hand in that matchup. And on both sides of the ball, it seemed very clear that the Jets starters were much better than the Giants backups, as we would expect. I want to toss things to you, Matt. What was your biggest takeaway? This was our first viewing of Aaron Rodgers in a live game setting. This was our first taste of the Rodgers to Garrett Wilson connection. Where where did your your brain kind of take you watching this all unfold? Yeah, so you touched on, on an important part, is that you want your starters to look like starters. You want them to dominate. Uh, and they did, they on both sides of the ball, uh, from the get-go, uh, and for their entire time out there. Uh, they looked like the superior group that uh, looks like they're they're ready to, to face the, the tough starters the, in the tough competition of the Bills, the Chiefs, the Eagles of the world. Um, yeah, they were hitting on all cylinders, uh, and it was it was fun. You, my, even though it was the Giants' home game, technically, uh, you, you definitely heard that crowd erupt as soon as uh, Rodgers took the field for the first time. Um, other than a couple, you know, uh, bad penalties on. Cobb and there's like a, a little rinky dink uh, uh, penalty on uh, I believe it was JJ uh, when I think Tyra Taylor accidentally tripped on somebody in on the sideline and they called it a, a push out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, that uh, there weren't a lot of you know things to complain about. Uh, I think the Giants threw uh, a little some uh, all out blitzes and cover zero, uh, and that kind of uh, took advantage of, of the of the numbers. And uh, I, I saw Carter uh, get worked over a little bit by uh, the newly acquired Simmons. Um, but other than that, the offensive line, uh, mostly four out of five starters were playing, and they played very well. Uh, they they kept him clean for the most part. Uh, and they, it kind of looked like their game plan was kind of uh, allowing him to, to kind of uh, stay clean. Like, it was a lot of screen passes and and short stuff, um, and uh, it, it it worked. Uh, the, the they said that they wanted Rogers to get uh, at least the, a transition out there, and and they got that. Uh, they had the first series where they're moving the ball, uh, and was uh, stopped short by uh, the Cobb uh, uh, penalty that drove him back and, and kind of killed the drive. Uh, but then they made adjustments, and then they came right back out the next series, and then we we saw that highlight real uh, touchdown uh, with Rodgers and, and Garrett. Uh, and that was something special. <laughs> that, that's like the the cherry on top, the, the way you want to end a preseason. Uh, and really just like an introduction to, to MetLife and Jets fans and the NFL world as uh, Rodgers in a Jets uniform. Uh, they are already hitting uh, in a way that that's good to see because uh, we're going to be expecting a lot. 
when uh, we uh, start the, the, the regular season against the Bills on 9-11. So seeing them kind of in sync uh, and making these kinds of plays together so quickly uh, is good to see. Um, and I think we uh, are starting to see what the, the game plan is uh, going forward. We, we had uh, Corey Davis retire. Uh, or not retire, but taking a leave of absence or leaving football activities for a while. Uh, So it's kind of interesting to see what are they going to do when with our depth at wide receiver and how are they going to handle that going forward? Uh, Lazard was also out. So we didn't really have a lot of, you know, top tier guys on the field other than Garrett. We had Nicole, we had Cobb, and then it was a bunch of undrafted free agents and and journeymen, um, and that depth definitely you know wore thin as soon as Rogers left the game. Uh, but while Rogers was in the game, you could see that how they were kind of working the middle of the field and working the running backs, working the tight ends uh, a little bit more. I think those guys are going to be a focal part of this offense and really kind of take the pressure off of uh, Wilson and and Lazard, when he comes back, um, they're going to really attack the middle of the field, you know, kind of keep those safeties in uh, and, and kind of allow the boundary guys to, to really feast uh, when they can. Um, and I think it, it, that's kind of what they're going to do. And then once uh, they have Hall and, and Cook on the field at the same time, I think that they're going to do a lot of pony sets and, and let them fly. Uh, so there's a lot of things that they can do. Uh, to kind of mitigate the loss of of, of Davis, and I think we saw a, a sneak preview of what that's going to be. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and, and I want to I want to branch off what what you were just saying specifically about this gap now in the wide receiving core, where obviously we had Corey Davis taking a leave of absence away from football. Wish him nothing but the best. Wish that all is well with him and his family and everything mentally for him. And if he feels that this is the best decision, then more power to him. Always, as as you know, Matt, and, and our listeners should know well by now, we always want to support the people before we support the player because they are people before they were ever players and they're going to be people after they're done playing. So it's really important for me, and I know you as well, to to recognize that. And I'm glad I haven't seen much really any at all from Jets Nation of of anger or resentment or any grudge against Corey Davis for this decision. And that's how it should be because no one willingly wants to walk away from an NFL career if they're not injured unless they have some pretty good reasons. And it sounds like Corey has his own and that's his personal business to where we don't need to spend time speculating or anything else. Hope Corey is happy. Hope everything is going well in his life. But with that said, he is no longer on this roster. And so we need to turn that attention to the gap left. And the guy I want to start talking about first and foremost has been, in my opinion, the most impressive player in the preseason. And that's Xavier Gibson. This dude's for real. This dude is a, a playmaker. His ability to accelerate from a standing start, a standing stop to like whether it's a kick return or a punt return or catching a ball over the middle on a stick route, his acceleration and his ability to go from zero to 60 in a flash is really, really something special. And on top of that, the thing that I think really kind of sets him apart is his vision. And we see it in the returns. I think he's averaged 28 yards per kick return throughout this preseason. He's averaging uh, well over 15 yards of punt return. You know, he's had 
a, a really good showing. And we saw it last night or the other night against the Giants as a receiver. He had, I think, seven catches for over 70 yards, which is the most of any Jet player throughout the entirety of the preseason. You know, he's really making a name for himself. And not only in this offense with Nathaniel Hackett, but Aaron Rodgers in general loves guys who can generate yards after the catch. And that's Xavier Gibson to a T. His ability, like I said, to either catch a stick route or catch a dig route over the middle, make somebody miss, accelerate, and pick up those extra few yards. You know, it really goes a long way to keep an offense on schedule. And he's done a lot to to show his value, not only on offense, but on special teams as well. I think he's the wide receiver five right now. I think your top four is Garrett Wilson, Alan Lazard, Nicole Hardman, Randall Cobb. And I think right behind them is Xavier Gibson. And I fully, fully, fully expect him to get some heavy utilization in the regular season. I think this guy's going to be a part of the offense, a, a, a big one at that. Oh, absolutely. He's, yeah, you, you touched on it. He's electric with the ball in his hands. Uh, you know how Wilson is also. Uh, they, they, I kind of saw a little bit of his game in uh gibson uh the, the way that they just stop start and explode um and just make people miss and get those extra yards yak it's all about that yak uh we'll take those short passes take them distance uh and then yeah just the the value he brings on special teams as well um i don't think i've thought that many other people taking returns um so i i think he's kind of locked in uh, for sure, uh, whether it's five or or six, um, that really depends on if they really if they bring somebody else in maybe uh, after cutdowns. I guess we'll 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 see on on the final positions. Uh, but yeah, he's every every time I see him with the ball in his hands, it's always a fun watch. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I'm I'm really excited to see him continue to progress. There was a time where I really thought Malik Taylor was gonna. St- fill that role and it looked like he was having a strong start to camp and through the preseason some injuries kind of slowed him down we saw the the camp darling jason brownlee excellent player in camp i'm gonna be honest guys i haven't been too impressed with him in the preseason so far um i'm still waiting for to see that kind of breakout and consistency and and the creation of separation more so than what we've seen as more of a possession receiver who specializes in contested catches you know, you have to understand there's a give and a take with that, and you're not always going to have the best separation as a result. But there were times this preseason when Brownlee was getting strapped up by guys who were going to be potentially off rosters. And that's not a good sign, especially when you compare to people like a Xavier Gibson, like an Alex Erickson, who seems to come in in the fourth quarter of every preseason game and just rack up catches throughout this couple of, last couple of games. So I'm excited to see what Brownlee can continue to progress. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, I'm totally out. There's no point. I do think he makes this roster and we'll get to our final 53 roster predictions here in a minute. But I'm waiting to see more from Jason Brownlee before I can sit there and say he's going to be just as big of a factor as what I think will be from Xavier Gibson. I I know Xavier Gibson is going to be a part of this offense. I'm waiting for Brownlee to prove it. So we'll see how that progresses. Uh, I want to go a quick different direction before we jump to our 53 predictions and talk about Aaron freaking Rogers and the difference in capacity and quality and everything else from a quarterback. And it literally, quite honestly, Matt, for me, it came on his very first snap. Wink Martindale doing Wink Martindale things comes out with a flat out cover zero blitz on the first play of the game. The Jets have Garrett Wilson outside. I believe they had Nicole Hardman as the other receiver. Um, 
on the other side, they're in a two tight end set with two tight ends to the right. And Wink Martindale has no kidding, nine people on the line of scrimmage. <laughs> and Rogers is under center and he sees Garrett Wilson to his left with a nine yard cushion. And in classic Aaron Rodgers fashion, he makes a little audible at the line, calls alert, alert, taps his helmet like we see all the time and just calls a simple run smoke. Uh, or it, basically, it's not so much a, an RPO as a PRO where if the corner is backing off that far, it's going to be a pass. If they're lower then they're going to run outside zone to the right. If you watch the end zone angle of the player, you go back and watch the play again. The offensive line is blocking outside zone. Michael Carter, the running back in the backfield, is taking an outside zone track as if he's about to take this handoff on a stretch play. And Aaron Rodgers, faster than you can practically blink your eye, snaps this ball, hops back, sets his feet, and throws a dart to Garrett Wilson, who catches it in space and runs for a first down like it's nothing. That's what Hall of Fame quarterbacks do. They'll take the little things. They'll take the easy stuff, and they'll do it over and over and over and over until you stop it. And when defenses press Garrett Wilson, they're really going to pay for it. When they back off on Garrett Wilson, they're going to pay for it too. And now you have a guy in Rodgers who can see those cues, see those signs from a defense, get his team into the right play, have total control and comfortability and a calmness to the offense to know that he's always going to get them into the right play. And I was just, honestly, I was just so impressed and so blown away that this is the New York Jets quarterback. When you just flash back to last year, none of the Jets quarterbacks had audible control. Joe Flacco was like a 14-year veteran in the league. Mike LaFleur didn't trust him to make audibles. Zach Wilson never even got a chance. And there's a clip from Hard Knocks uh, on the most recent episode at the end of the game against the Buccaneers, where Zach Wilson is going and talking to Kyle Trask, uh, Buccaneers quarterback. And Trask is asking him, you know, how's Rodgers, how's the new offense? And Zach's exact words were, we have so many audibles and so many answers to get into looks we like because of Aaron. That means that they're teaching Zach to think like Rogers. Hackett is teaching Zach to think like Rogers to where this isn't a, okay, Zach, you're going to be our backup quarterback. This is how we want our offense to run when Aaron's in the game. And when you come in, we're taking all of this away from you. And all of these, all of this help, all of this freedom, all of this control that the well-regarded raved about film nut that Zach Wilson was before the draft. And while he's been in New York, no one has ever questioned his knowledge. No one has ever questioned his work ethic. No one has ever questioned his study habits. He just never had the freedom to do anything with it. And now we're seeing what an offense looks like when not only does it have a quarterback under center who knows how to make those right calls, but a quarterback who's just flat out allowed to make those right calls. And I think it's going to be a night and day offense from what we saw last season. I really, really do. The more we've seen out of this offense in the preseason, the more I'm going, oh my God, Michael Floor was bad. That's where, <laughs> that's what I keep coming back to is holy crap, we didn't. And we, we on this show certainly got on LaFleur and rightfully so. I still think we weren't harsh enough. I still oh, think we could have been harsher. <laughs> I mean, it's the ability to just take the easy stuff and keep an offense on schedule is so undervalued. And I'm, over the moon excited to see what this offense can do this year because regardless of who's playing under center which does have a monstrous monstrous impact i just think the design of the offense and the freedom and thought process to i'm instead of having an offensive coordinator that goes i'm calling this play this is the play we're calling 
Don't change it. Don't make any adjustments. Go through your reads and somebody will be open. Doesn't matter what the coverage is. Just trust your reads, trust, you know, your footwork, trust your timing and, and get through. And eventually depends on regardless of what the coverage is, you'll find somebody open. That's not how the NFL is played. Defenses are good. Like I'm sorry. These guys are talented. These defenses are tough. They know how to read opponents. They watch tape too. You can't just run your play and expect it to work and never have to make an adjustment. And it's going to be a, a world of difference this year. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah. I mean, even on the touchdown, you could see that uh, Rogers just do, throw a quick signal out to, to, to Wilson to, to do a fade. He, he saw that he was going to be in single coverage uh, and just called it out right away. And then boom. And it, it was just executed to perfection. Perfect throw, perfect catch. Everything about it was just perfect. Uh, and yeah, it, it just seeing them on the field, seeing how Rodgers works, whether it's practice or in the game or just on the sideline or just watching the other players practice. He is pretty much AI. He's an AI hack. He just diagnoses everything and spits out solutions. He is pretty much a machine. And the fact that you can kind of see it rubbing off on on Zach is amazing. (laughs) And how quickly yeah it, it's happened too like we that i was saying earlier that uh that zach looked like a guy that shouldn't even be in the nfl and now in just one off season he i i would trust him as our backup uh and and i can say that confidently right now uh he he didn't really uh do anything you know wildly uh reckless he other than trying to stay in bounds on that long run, but not with the ball. He wasn't reckless with the ball, and he seems more accurate as well, and just more comfortable in his own skin. That's like that was one of my biggest, you know, things for for Zach last year is that he just didn't look comfortable in his own skin. He was ha- had happy feet. His uh, footwork, even with yep. throwing, just looked his off. mechanics completely mechanics dissolved are entirely. But now, uh, just one off season, it seems like everything is kind of back on track to where we hope things would have been maybe in the second year. Um, so I can only see this relationship between him and AR uh, really paying off dividends going forward. Even if he's not starting, just being on the bench and watching and just doing what Rogers does and just diagnose everything and learn to fix things and then and just work things out to find new wrinkles i feel like zach's going to be a big contributor to that this he's going to be watching rogers he's going to see what works what doesn't work he's going to and as soon as rogers gets to the sideline you know what i bet you the first person that is going to be talking to him is going to be zach like hey i saw this you should try this and they're going to just be bouncing these things off each other all year and it's only going to make everybody better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and it's not only a credit to to Rogers himself to walk into this situation. And this goes for beyond just Zach Wilson, but to embrace this whole team and embrace this leadership role and this teacher role where he's basically an extra coach, where he's taught the offense just as much as any of the offensive play callers, any of the offensive coaches. He's had that same sort of leadership and that same sort of you know, teaching ability to bring everybody up to speed. And it's no more evident than anybody than in Zach Wilson. 
And on top of that, and again, I'm, if this becomes the pylon Mike LaFleur show, that's fine. We need to give credit to Nathaniel Hackett. We need to give credit to Nathaniel Hackett as an offensive coordinator and see the difference in a guy that's been an offensive coordinator for, I believe, or been in the NFL as a play caller, either head coach or offensive coordinator or something of the sort for close to a decade and had a father who spent just as long, if not longer, in the same role in the NFL as a play caller and play designer. We're seeing a, a world of difference compared to Mike LaFleur, who had never been an offensive coordinator in the NFL before and had only ever called plays, period, at Division II Davidson for a, like a season or two. That the, the, the wealth of experience, the wealth of knowledge, the wealth of, of plays in, in their Rolodexes are, are not even comparable. And I don't care that Mike LaFleur spent time under Kyle Shanahan because the amount of people that spent time under Kyle Shanahan and have succeeded elsewhere is few and far between. Right now, it's basically Mike McDaniel and, like, what's another name of a former Shanahan coach that's left Shanahan and gone and found success as a play caller or offensive coordinator somewhere else, it's really, really uh, hard to replicate. No, it's very hard to replicate. And it, it, it takes a, a, that recipe. It, it, it reminds me of Belichick, kind of. That's exactly what I was going to say. Where under Belichick, all these guys thrive. They look like rising stars. Uh, and then they go off and get their head coaching job. And I think just about every one of them has kind of faltered or failed outright uh i think rabel's probably had the most success maybe and even i think flores got kind of screwed by miami but even still it's not like his teams were world beaters no definitely not so it it, yeah it's kind of i i I think we're talking about revis and like oh would revis make a good coach and i believe you said probably not because absolutely not because he first he doesn't have the mindset but also because he was working with elite trait and elite ability and that kind of reminds me of like oh these guys are working with elite coaches and with and that formula and that combination of being around that that eliteness just brings out the best in everybody and then when they lose that what's left is just the inexperience uh that they have and the ghost of the eliteness that they used to be with yeah, I mean, it's, it really is that simple. And I know, you know, I'll be the first one on this show always to admit when I was wrong, to admit when I've changed my opinion. I think it's perfectly allowed and should be the norm to change your opinions when you have new information, when you've seen new evidence of things being different. We were very much against the Nathaniel Hackett hire before the hire and afterwards. We were kind of worried, and before Aaron Rodgers became officially a Jet, we were very much worried that this is only a hire to get Aaron Rodgers here, and if you don't do it, then what are you going to see? Are you going to become the Denver Broncos? And I think we missed the point, Matt, and this is where we can self-scout a little bit. Being an offensive coordinator and being a head coach are two completely different things. And, And just because Hackett didn't succeed as a head coach doesn't mean that he can't be a good coordinator. Doesn't mean that he can't find success doing what he has done for most of his life when that was his first time being a head coach in the NFL. We've seen him be an offensive coordinator for a long time. We've seen him be an offensive coordinator with Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback to great success for a long time. And I think we undervalued 
Hackett, the offensive coordinator, and Hackett, the teacher, because we were worried about Hackett, the head coach. Well, he's not, he doesn't have to be the head coach. He doesn't have to. That's not his job anymore. His job is to coach the offense, design the offense, call the plays, put players in the best position to succeed. And I think he's going to have a really, really solid year. Just in these couple of preseason games, I've seen so many things like the quick smoke to Garrett Wilson to start the game against the Giants. They had another play they scored a touchdown on to Alex Erickson, which was a trips receiver screen where Erickson's in the, in the tight slot. He's got two guys to his left. He runs a quick little out flat route to the left sideline. The two receivers get up and lead block, and it leads to a touchdown. I remember on this show, I've mentioned this before, I'll mention it again. When the Jets played the Jaguars in Thursday night football this past year, and Doug Peterson called bunch receiver screens against the Jets off corners probably nine times in that game and was getting six yards a pop almost every single time on first down, getting on our show the next week and going, Mike LaFleur, take notes. Why can't you do stuff like this? Why can't Mm -hmm. you find easy ways to generate yards? It's not hard. Steal other people's plays. That's what the NFL is about. It's a league of thievery. You don't win in this league by always having the answer yourself. You win in this league by having the humility to look around and see what's succeeding for other people and seeing if that same stuff can succeed for you. And I just, I love what I've seen from Hackett so far. I could spend all night talking about how much better I think Hackett is going to be as an offensive coordinator than we gave him credit for. And trust me when I say this, it has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. All of the things that I can think of that I can point to are things that are independent of Aaron Rodgers being under center. They had another play that I absolutely loved. I believe it was either the play before or two plays before Garrett Wilson's touchdown um, from Aaron Rodgers against the Giants, where they start in a four wide and they have a tight end. I think it was Conklin on the line of scrimmage. They take Nicole Hardman as an outside receiver and they motion him underneath to basically an H back. And they run a little bit of a bootleg where they hide him behind the tight end and then coming across on like a split zone action like any other H-back tight end would. Hardman slips out to the flat. He's wide open. Rogers hits him. It's a nine-yard game. You, I, I would have lost my mind if Mike LaFleur <laughs> did something ever like that. that? No, I would have lost that. my mind if LaFleur did something like that. And, and I go back to the time in Green Bay. We saw how they utilized Aaron Jones where Aaron Jones was a running back, but he would spend plenty of time at receiver. They would give him jet sweeps as a receiver. They would have him basically run outside zone with A.J. Dillon lead blocking out of the backfield and Aaron Jones is an outside receiver. They did that in the red zone and scored on it all the time. And I think we're going to see that same thing this year. Like you had mentioned the pony sets where we could have Michael Carter in the backfield or or Brees Hall in the backfield and Dalvin Cook out at receiver, and he's going to get the pitch or vice versa or whatever combination that you're going to see or Hardman. Exactly. And the the ability to find ways to generate positive yards and to put your skill position and your playmakers in space to do what they do best is a very, 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 very underrated trait for offensive play callers. And I think Nathaniel Hackett's got it down. I'm really excited to see this offense. Well, there's one thing that he has going for him. He has a lot of talent to work with here. Uh, so this is true. You know, being very creative uh, gets helped out a lot when you've got uh, the studs that we have. Um, so, but yeah, I completely agree. Like the the way that they design these plays, the way that they implement them, and the way that they're executing them uh, is night and day different than Lafleur. Uh, he faltered when it came to designing them. He <laughs> faltered when it came to implementing them. And then they sure as hell didn't execute him. So all three layers of of, of being a successful offensive coach, uh, he failed at. Uh, is it that simple? Uh, and 
it's still early for sure. Uh, and nothing's guaranteed going from preseason to, to the regular season, but the glimpses that we've seen, and I'm sure that they're not like showing us their, their biggest wrinkles yet. Not right. At all. Uh, so the fact that they're even able to do a basic vanilla version of what they want to do uh, and have it still be creative and effective is, is great. Uh, and not to spend too much time on, on the offense, because uh, now that we're thinking of things that are night and day different, uh, and even though nothing's really changed coaching-wise on the defense, I am definitely seeing some changes on the defense from the last uh, two years under Sala and and uh, yep. Have you noticed that screens are really getting sniffed out a lot quicker and with a lot more ferocity? Like I'm seeing guys fly to these screen passes and stopping them in their tracks. Whether it's uh, our Nickelbacks, our, our Amos, uh, Carter, Eccles, uh, the linebackers, they're all just flying to these screens. And it, it, this was like a huge like problem area for our defense. Uh, and like you were talking about the, the Jacksonville game, how they would just do this over and over again and with success. Uh, but I don't see that being a factor this year. They look like they have really taking it past to, to kind of mend that that problem area and really make it a strength factor. Yeah, I completely and totally agree. Uh, I mean, we we were singing the praises of Jeff Ulbrich last year. I think we're going to be singing them even louder this year because we're seeing, as the coaches have talked about, and we need to give them credit for backing up what they've said. They're now in year three of this scheme. A lot of the guys that are starting on this defense have been starting on this defense or been a part of this defense from the minute they got there that they are way more advanced in knowledge of the base of this scheme in this defense than they were two years ago in 2021 when it looked like they couldn't stop a nosebleed. We're seeing the fruits of that. We're seeing that blossom. We're seeing that come to life. And Ulbrich specifically was the one that I've heard mention this over and over and over, where 2021, we're first getting in, we're installing, this is defense 101. We're in the 500 levels now. That we've been through it. We've had multiple years. We've had guys who know the scheme to where the base calls, they know like the back of their hand, where they're not having to think about, okay, what's my assignment? What are my keys? Um, you know, I, I go back to the acronym that hangs in the Jets defensive meeting room. It's CAKE, coverage, assignment, keys, execute. That's what players are thinking about, you know, 2021. It's okay, what's my coverage? I got to think about it. Okay, what's my assignment? This is my role. This is what I'm doing. Got it. Okay, what am I looking at? Where are my keys? Oh, wait, I didn't get to get to my keys because now the ball snapped. We're in year three now, and you're seeing guys come out. They know the coverage, they know their assignment before they even line up. They know what they're supposed to be doing, and then they can focus solely on the keys from the offense on, okay. What have my film study told me? What am I seeing when a team gets in this formation? What do they like to do? What are their preferences here? We're seeing all of that come to life. And on top of that, we're seeing a more complex defense. I've seen more different formations and alignments and looks and disguises and traps and stuff like that from Ulbrich in this preseason than I saw maybe throughout the entirety of the Jets' first season under Robert Sala. And, and that's got me really, really excited. Where To piggyback off what you were saying with Hackett, Matt, this is the vanilla version. <laughs> this is the this is the we're not trying to show our hand version yet. And we're still seeing that development. We're still seeing those wrinkles. We're still seeing those different types of adjustments and, and variations to keep offenses guessing. 
And again, it's the same sort of idea, like I said, with the offense. I can't wait to see what the whole regular season looks like because I think this team has so many tricks up their sleeve that other opponents aren't going to know what to do with it. And and we are going to see a, a very, very talented Jets team on both offense and defense. And the experience of the coaches on offense, on top of the experience of the quarterback, and the experience of now the defense and the players that have been in this defense, as well as the coaches in this defense, we're going to see all of that come to fruition, and it's going to be something to see. It really will be. The best is yet to come. Absolutely. All right, with that, I think it is time. Let's look ahead to this 53-man roster prediction. Uh, Matt, I'm going to go ahead and toss it to you first to go through, because I think a lot of these are going to be the same between you and I. We just might have some slight variations there. So let me go ahead and let you run through your roster. We'll start with the offense, take a break, go through it, then get to the defense. And then where we have some differences, we can kind of chime in. Or if there's anybody we want to specifically highlight, feel free to do so as well. But who do you think makes this Jets 53-man roster on offense? Go for it. All right, let's see. I'll start with the quarterbacks. Um, so I think that they will actually hold all three um, just because I think that they do kind of want this. Even though Zach is the the, the number two uh, in theory, I think they do want him to sit. Uh, if if Rodgers does get hurt, it will probably be – it probably won't be the most uh, – uh, the quickest decision be like, Oh, let's just throw Zach in there. Now. I think that they might actually be think about putting Boyle in, uh, just so Zach gets a true red shirt ear to sit and learn. Um, although I could be completely wrong about that, but at the same time, I think that we do need that third option. Um, and Boyle, I mean, he's been kind of, meh, but also last night he, he showed he, he could still sling it a little bit and, and he did score twice. Uh, where, where Zach faltered. Uh, at doing so. Uh, so I'm going to have three quarterbacks, Rodgers, Wilson, and Boyle. Uh, then we go to the tackles. Uh, I'm going to do four uh, tackles uh, and with Brown and Becton as our starters. And then you got Turner and Max Mitchell uh, as our backup. Uh, Carter Warren, I see probably going on the IR or, or the pup list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't see him counting uh, against the 53 right away. Uh, then if we move uh, to the inside for the guards uh, in center, uh, we got Pierre Tucker, McGovern, Tipman, and Lakin uh, as our primary four, uh, with uh, Wes uh, back and everybody else uh, being our, our, our failsafe. Uh, so five total for them. Uh, and then for wide receiver, I have six. I have Wilson, Lazard, Hardman, Cobb, Gibson, and then a mystery guy. I don't think our sixth guy is on our roster right now. I think they will bring in somebody from the cutdown list. Uh, who it is, I don't know, but I, I feel like it's going to be somebody with uh, a lot of outside experience. Uh, I feel like they have a number of guys that can play the slot uh, and, and play that role well, uh, but not a lot of guys that, that can take advantage of the boundaries. Uh, and and whether it's being a uh, downfield threat and speed, or if it's uh, just a guy that can use their their uh, size and physicality uh, to really just box out uh, DBs on the boundary, uh, I don't think we have that now. Um, Brownlee doesn't seem like he's up to the task just yet, uh, so maybe they stash him on the practice squad and maybe develops into that at some point. But I don't think it's right now. Uh, so I think that 
last spot will go to somebody not on the roster. Then you go to tight ends. I think we go with three with uh, Conklin, CJ, and Rucker. Uh, Rucker's been a nice surprise. I, I, watching him play last night, he, he showed some glimpses of what we uh, really hoped that he would be. Um, so I'm glad to see him kind of developing. Then running backs, we got, I'm going with four, Hall, Cook, Carter, and Izzy. Uh, they did say Izzy should be uh, back uh, pretty soon. Uh, that injury won't, won't force him onto any uh, pup list or anything like that. Uh, and then uh, Nick Bowden as our fullback to, to round out the offense. Yeah, uh, we're pretty much in lockstep. The only difference I have uh, between your list, um, I don't quite remember. Did you go over the interior offensive line? Yeah, I had Tucker, Tomlinson, McGovern, Tipman, and West. Okay, so we have one difference there. I have all of those guys plus Tristan Cologne. Um, plus Cologne. Okay. Yes. So I have Lakin, Connor McGovern, Elijah Vera Tucker as the starters. Titman, Schweitzer uh, backing up, and Tristan Cologne as well uh, as that other interior lineman. The other difference I have, and this isn't a disagreement, this is just in terms of what will it look like Tuesday at four after the deadline, I have Jason Brownlee as the wide receiver six. But I agree that I don't think he sticks. I agree that when they can have somebody else to bring in, whether it's through trade, whether it's through roster cuts, whether it's waiver wire, whatever it is, that when they have another person that they want to add into this room to fill that role, I do think Jason Brownlee is either going to find his way to the practice squad or find his way to another active roster, and he will be that that stopgap in the meantime to to round out the group. But outside of that, I think this offense is set in stone. I think we are very, very clear on who's going to be here, who's not going to be here. Uh, and the only thing I want to mention, as crazy as this can be, and again, self-scouting here, the downfall of Bam Knight has been shocking. Yeah. Be- everybody in the world, as a reporter, said, oh, he's been the best running back in camp. He's been the best running back in camp. You know, he's looking better than Carter. This was Brees wasn't activated yet. They hadn't signed Dalvin Cook. You know, it's Bam Knight, Bam Knight, Bam Knight. And then you get into the game, and he's the last on the depth chart. They play their starters this past week against the Giants. The starters get their reps. Who's starting in the backfield behind Aaron Rodgers? Michael Carter. Brees Hall isn't ready. Dalvin Cook isn't practicing. Michael Carter's next on that list. You just drafted Izzy. And he's showing out not only in camp, but was showing out in the preseason before he got injured. I, I can't, I don't know what happened to Bam Knight. Like, I, I can't understand why he apparently was ripping up this Jets defense that we expect to be really good in practice. And then we get to the games. And it's like he looks like a completely different guy. I haven't seen the one thing really that I'm that I've missed from him that I've been waiting to see is just the violence, not Mm -hmm. not so much the explosiveness or the speed or the cutting ability, the violence, the effort, the tenacity, the the never say die that we had in him that got him the nickname Bam. I mean, I just I, I haven't seen it and I don't know what happened. And it's really sad. It is sad. I was really rooting for Bam. I I thought it was going to be a really tough choice between Carter uh, and, and Bam, but Carter came out on fire looking like his rookie year, if not even better than his rookie year, uh, just making people miss left and right. And then Bam, he just, he just fell very short of our expectations, uh, whether it's a drop here, a uh, easily tackled here, not making somebody miss there, a drop there. It, it, it's, it's just been little things, little nicks, to, to his game that really just brought his stock down. Um, I think that they will try to 
put him on the practice squad because I don't think the guy that we saw last year is gone. I don't think that he's just changed overnight into somebody that, and it's going to stay that way. I think they still believe in him. I still believe in him in his long-term development. Um, but I think it's the practice squad for him to really allow him to develop that. You know, I hope for the Jets' sake that that he makes it onto their practice squad because we know the the position running back is and the injury risk associated and how inevitably you're going to need somebody else to step in and fill that role. So I hope he can find his way onto the practice squad so that we they can stash him for when they really need him. But I'm going to be honest, I think he's going to get picked up by somebody else. I think he's going to find his way, even if it's as an RB3, just because of what we saw out of him as an undrafted rookie last year when he was on the practice squad and he did get called up and he did get his shot. And all the raving reports of camp of, you know, everything else and the Jets had joint practices with three different teams this year. If I'm remembering correctly, they did a joint practice with Carolina, two joint practices, excuse me, joint practice with Carolina and a joint practice with Tampa Bay. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those teams claims him when he were Mm -hmm. to be cut. I mean, I know the Buccaneers are searching for consistency in their running back room. The Panthers signed Miles Sanders. They lost uh, Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard has been up and down throughout his career. You know, maybe that's a landing spot for him. I, I really, really hope again that he makes the practice squad, but I'm doubtful right now. See, but here's the thing: there's still so many running backs in on the market even before cutdowns. So, I don't see like Bam's market really being that hot if he gets cut. Uh, I, I I think he will pass through waivers. It, it just it, you guys have guys like Hunt still out there. Uh, you have guys like uh, like Drake out there and Drake. so mm-hmm. th- there's still guys out there if you want to round need like a, a running back three or even a running back two or one there's still guys out there um and then after cut downs i'm sure that'll the market will be even more flush uh so i i could see somebody taking a shot on him just because of last year um but at the same time i i i think it's a little bit more likely that he passed through and we can kind of stash him on the practice squad. That's my hope. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And, and I really hope you're right. I mean, you're 100% right in the fact that there are a lot of backs still available on the market and they'll be even more available after cutdowns where if Bam Knight's somebody that's going to be available, the same situation's probably happening on all 31 other teams that there could be somebody they really want to keep, but they can't quite fit it onto the 53. And whether it's a running back or other position, that guy's going to shake free and that's going to dilute the market. So I really hope you're right. Uh, I really, really do, because I think he is the perfect number one guy on your practice squad to keep on in the event that one of your top four goes down. Or, you know, if Izzy isn't ready for week one, you activate Bam. You know, that seems like a a, a logical, you know, thought to me where I, I could certainly see that happening. Uh, I want to talk about one more guy on offense before we switch over to the defensive side. Holy crap, Mekhi Becton is so much better at right tackle than he ever was at left. <laughs> he, he really I, does. He, he looks it, like he's been playing it for his entire. Well, I mean, he, I guess he did play, play it at, at Louisville for a little bit, but yeah, he, he looks like amazing, man. He he is demolishing people. He is absolutely demolishing people against the Buccaneers. He was fantastic. He had another great performance against the Giants. Uh, I am. He's officially been named the starting right tackle by Robert Sala. When a handful of weeks ago. I'll be, again, self-scout, the first one to admit it. I said, I got to see this guy play more than eight snaps in a game and pull himself out before I can trust him to be a starter. 
And then all he did was work and work and work and get in the game and kept in until he was pulled and knocked people on their butts the entire time while he was out there. Huge credit to Mekhi Becton. Huge. You spent all spring training at left tackle. You might have had some work in the, in the shadows in the background and right tackle just in case you were working, but you were vying to be that starting left tackle. We saw him at left tackle against the Browns when he was the number two. You know, we've seen this, this jump from him and, and this continued ascension where he is playing, and I know it's preseason. We'll have to see when we get to the regular season, but he's been playing some really, really good football, not just as a pass blocker in the run game as well. We're seeing that same dominance, that same strength, that same explosiveness. And, and I am really, really, really happy for this guy. I, I was doubtful because I wanted to prove it for the sake of, of everything that riding, that's riding on this season, the stakes being so high. I wanted to make sure that if we're trusting this guy with Aaron Rodgers' health, that you know he's ready to go and he's not going to be hampered or limited or have to come out of a game after you know halfway through. And he's passed any question I had with flying colors. So I'm all the credit in the world to Mackay Becton. I'm so excited and happy for him. I cannot wait to see him. You know, can get onto a field in the live game and hope. You know, knock on wood we can have a guy play for the first time in his career all 17 games and watch what this guy can do. Because if Mekhi Becton can turn out to be an asset for the New York Jets, that is going to be so much better for them in the long term than it would be otherwise. And that's what it was looking before this season. So I can't wait to see Mekhi. I'm, I'm really excited for him. I am as well. Yeah, before that, that Panthers game, we were kind of going back and forth with what we saw and what we expected from him. Um, and yeah, it, it, I, I think, I feel like the messaging around Becton should have been a little bit better, whether they should have kind of marketed it as a competition for left tackle. I feel like that threw a lot of people, uh, and then, uh, Samini comes out with that whole working him back and trying to work him towards right tackle, which makes it sound like putting him at right tackle was always the, the plan. Um, so there, there's a lot of, of, of things that kind of, uh, kind of pointed us in directions where we weren't looking, whether it was like, oh, he's not right now. You got Max and Turner uh, uh, ahead of him. Uh, so he's, he's, they're, they're looking at them as, as the starters right now. Uh, and, and Beckton's not gonna, not gonna pass them unless he really shows something. Um, and, but he has, he has shown it and. All hats off to him. The, I I really I've I've been really excited that this is happening. That that he has found his groove because it it just seemed like he was struggling. Whether it was as a man trying to find uh, confidence in himself, uh, or a guy that is a new father that's trying to provide for his family and seeing his livelihood in the balance. And having it all kind of come together uh, in a way like it is right now is just good to watch. Good football. It's good story. Good humanity. 100%. 100% agree. Could not agree more. All right, let's get to this defense, and then we can go ahead and wrap this one up. All right. So I'll start with my my group. Uh, I have Carl Lawson uh, starting the, the year on the pup list. Uh, either from the messaging of, of Sala saying it, he doesn't know if he's going to be ready week one or the, the little video of him running and looking really awkward. I, I don't see him being ready. Week awkward one. is putting it nicely. Yes. Uh, so for edges, I'll have JJ 
uh, and Franklin Myers as our starters. Uh, and then you got the Speed Demons, Huff and McDonald. Uh, and then you've got the the utility master of utility in uh, Michael Clemens. Uh, and then on the inside, we got Hugh, we got Woods, uh, we got Jefferson, and we got Solomon Thomas. Um, and I think that kind of squares away the the group to start the the year. Uh, we'll see what happens with Lawson when he comes back. Uh, and then we go to the middle. Uh, I have probably uh, more. I, I, from middle middle out, I I have probably a lot more guys than than probably many other people have for their their fifty uh, three man estimate. So for linebacker, I have CJ, I've got Quincy, I got Sherwood, and then I also have Barnes and Surratt making it to to at least start. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens when people start coming off the the suspended or or pup or or short term IR. Um, Actually, I guess if you go on short-term IR, you have to make the 53 initially, right? So it would I believe so, season, yes. Season-ending IR. Uh, all right, so then moving on to cornerback, we got Doss, of course, Reed, Carter, Moreland, I have to making over Hall, uh, and, and Hardy. Uh, Hall, I, from his humble beginnings and how we both really liked him coming out, uh, I, I feel like he's just fallen from grace and... and really hasn't picked it up or taken any step forward. Um, I feel like they, they kind of let him go and, and, and bring in another young guy in Jimmy Moreland to, to see if his hunger can push him a little further. Uh, and then with the safeties, I got Whitehead, Adams, Amos. And then I, I, I was deciding, should we keep Davis or Dean? And I'm like, you know what? At this point, let's just keep both. So I have both of them making it. Uh, and so five five safeties, five cornerbacks, five linebackers. And then, oh, so Eccles, he'll be suspended. Uh, so he won't count against the 53. Uh, and Bernard Converse, uh, he'll probably start the year. Uh, or he'll probably be on IR or the pup list. Yeah, we are pretty much in lockstep again. Uh, funny how we see football through the same lens, how that ends up happening most uh, more often than not. Do have a couple of differences here. Like you, I have Carl uh, Carl Lawson, Bernard Converse, and Carter Warren on pup slash IR. Brandon Eccles is suspended, so obviously he will not count towards the 53. So in his place right now, I have nobody as an extra corner. I have, in terms of cornerbacks, I have Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, Michael Carter II, and Justin Hardy. And I think those are going to be the corners. Those are the what they're going to roll with for week one. And when Eccles gets back activated, they'll swap somebody else in and they'll get him in as that primary backup corner after he serves his one game suspension. Looking at the defensive line, I do have a couple differences there with you. Uh, starting with the edge rushers, I have Jermaine Johnson making it. I have JFM making it. I have Michael Clemens. I have Bryce Hupp. Bryce Huff, Will McDonald, and Deslin Alexander is an undrafted free agent who I think will be replaced by Carl Lawson if and when he is healthy again. So placeholder for Deslin Alexander at the moment. I have been pretty impressed with him so far in the preseason, especially in the run game. I thought he's done some really good stuff in the run game against tight ends, stacking and shedding and getting into the backfield, being that aggressor that the Jets like on their front. Um, I think he could find his way to the practice squad and eventually on the way onto this roster in the future. Um, and in the meantime, he might get a start really early filling in for Carl Lawson. You never know what could happen on game day. Somebody gets 
hurt, somebody can't play, you need somebody else to get activated. We know how much the Jets want to rotate their defensive linemen. So we who knows, maybe we see some more Deslin Alexander in the regular season than expected. But for right now, it's more of a placeholder for Carl Lawson with his injury being so up in the air. On the interior, obviously, Quinnen Williams at the top spot there. Uh, Quentin Jefferson and Al Woods right behind him, the two Seattle converts, Solomon Thomas, and then in a surprise that I think a lot of people maybe not expect, I think Tanzel Smart makes this team. I've been even playing through an injury against the Giants. Hopefully he's okay and that doesn't influence this spot, but he is that same sort of energetic, explosive penetrator that the Jets love so much on their defensive line. And the way that he is very clearly accepted and loved by his teammates, the way the coaches have backed him, the way that he he found his way onto this roster as a waiver pickup and bounced around from the Rams to the Browns and the Jets and off the Jets and back on the Jets and, and all of that. He's found a way to continue to stick on this team and make a name for himself. And he had a couple of nice plays throughout this preseason that that really show and speak to his talents and what he can do in this defense. I think he's going to stick as that extra interior guy, and I hope he gets a chance to get on uh, get, in, get in on some action. Linebackers were the exact same here. Quincy, uh, Quincy Williams, CJ Mosley, Jamie and Sherwood is the top three. And then both Chaz Surratt and Zaire Barnes making the roster as backups as well. So pretty close on defense, not too different. And then uh, special teams, I know we're going to be the same here with just our three guys. Zerline at kicker, Morstead at punter, and Thomas Hennessy, the long snapper. Um, overall. Did you just safeties? Oh, that's right. I got to get to safeties. I miss safeties. Uh, good catch there. Um, Starters being Tony Adams and Jordan Whitehead. And then behind them, like you, I have uh, Adrian Amos, Ashton Davis, and Trey Dean making it as backup safeties. We saw the Jets do some three safety looks uh, throughout this preseason. So we know it's something that they have on their mind. They know it's something that they they have in their, their bag of clubs. And with the way Trey Dean and quite honestly, the improvement of Ashton Davis throughout this preseason, like you said, I, I don't know which one you get rid of. Because I think Trey Dean has done everything you can hope to do as an undrafted rookie to make a roster, just like Tony Adams did last year. And I, I got to be honest, Ashton Davis looks better. He's he's looking he improved. He's looking sharper. He had a, a great hit against the uh, the Buccaneers, coming up short and flying in on a tackle and getting a tackle for loss on a checkdown. You know he has that level of speed, and especially if they're looking to do some sort of three safety package maybe he subs in on a third and long as a linebacker and his job is cover a running back where we've said for a long time, middle of the field running backs and tight ends. Is this where this team is going to struggle? Is this where teams are going to try and attack them defensively? Well, if CJ Mosley is your linebacker in that situation, sure, that could be something you might worry about because at this point in his career, as good as Mosley can be and as fluent, uh, fluid and instinctive as he can be, he still just doesn't have the same legs under him that he used to. And even then, he's like a 235-pound linebacker anyway. So if you got James Cook in Buffalo, and it's third and 12, and Cook is going to you know run out in empty and be lined up in a near slot, I'd rather have Ashton Davis covering in than C.J. Mosley uh, or trading or somebody along those lines. So I think those, those three safeties are going to stick. And, and Adrian Amos being your primary backup for like the $1.4 million or whatever it is that the Jets are paying him, is you could do a heck of a lot worse uh, than that. I think that's a pretty solid group. Yeah, Amos was, uh, was starting last night in starting defense as our big nickel. Uh, so I could definitely see him being like the primary guy for that role uh, or even being the third linebacker. Sometimes I think 
uh, they used Amos more in that role than the Sherwood. Uh, so uh, I could definitely see them rotating some guys in, whether it's Dean, whether it's Davis or Amos. Uh, all three of those guys should have uh, a prominent role uh, in that back end. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I really, really do. And I'm going to throw this question to you as well, Matt, but to to answer before you, looking over this roster, looking at the guys that we expect to make it and the guys that we expect that that won't throughout this preseason, the only one I'm really worried about not being on this 53 is Bam Knight. Um, I mean, Bam is is the one I'm just like, bummed about the most um but even still i i i'm pretty confident that it will still get him back on the practice squad so uh, even though i'm bummed i'm i am hopeful for the future and for his future i hope so us. too i definitely definitely hope so too um we're in lockstep there like usual any parting shots before we kick things off for this little mini break before week one starts any Bold predictions you want to throw out? Any players you maybe want to highlight that we might not see more of? Anything at all as we wrap up this preseason? You know, get it in while you still can. Let's see. Uh, I really want somebody, uh, whether from the the tight end room or the middle of our wide receiver depth, to really kind of shine through and become uh, a stud. And I'm going to think that that guy is conquered. I think Conklin is going to explode. He had a moderately decent year last year with uh, the, the 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 guys that we had at quarterback, whether it was Flacco or White or or Zach, uh, and he still did okay. I think with Rodgers back there and the way that they're kind of already implementing tight ends and running back, I think his role is going to be that much bigger. I could see something like close to 700, 800 yards and maybe the six to nine, six to eight uh, touchdown range. Um, his role is about to get a lot bigger. And I don't think he's even the, the highest paid tight end we have. No, no, CJ Uzama is making more than him. Yep. So, yeah, I think he's going to outshine everybody in that tight end room uh, and really kind of fill the void left by Davis retiring or just the void of not really having uh, a really a true number two wide receiver. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, I completely and totally agree. Aaron Rodgers loves tight ends and he always has. Whether it was Jermichael Finley, Richard Rodgers, Mercedes Lewis, didn't matter the kind. You got all different sizes and flavors of tight ends in there. And, and Rodgers found a way to make it work with all of them because that's how this offense works. The plays that they get put into, the situations they get put into, you know, it really it it works in this offense and Rodgers is going to be the type of guy to get them the ball when they're open. So uh, I completely agree. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Conklin's second on the team in catches. Oh, yeah, I, I could definitely see that. In fact, I'm kind of expecting him to be second on the team in catches uh, with Lazard right behind him. Yeah, I, I certainly could see it as well. I wouldn't be surprised. I have uh, kind of two points to make at, at the at the end here. I'll start with with my first one. Um, and it's about the Jets' top two draft picks this past year, being Will McDonald and Joe Titman. It is a credit to the roster that this team is built by right now and the talent that they have that they don't need their first two draft picks to that basically play any sort of meaningful starter snaps. I expect Will McDonald to probably get less than 40% of snaps this year, 
unless he just proves to be so outright dangerous that they can't keep him off the field and they'll find other ways to get him in, even then it, it might be no more than 45. Uh, you know, I'm really expecting him to be at between that 33 to 38% range in terms of snaps played on defense where it's going to be third and long. All right, we'll go out in that wide nine, go rush the, off the left tack, go beat him, go win. Then, okay, you, you did it. Cool. Now you're off the field. Next time it's third and long. We'll see if you want to go out again. Maybe it's JJ's turn. Maybe it's Bryce Huff's turn. You know, maybe it's, you know, whoever else's turn, but Will McDonald is going to get his chance. And Joe Tittman has had a fantastic preseason. He's been awesome. He's played last season. night. I wasn't expecting him to even be back <laughs> before week right. one, and he's already playing. So that, that's a tribute to him. Absolutely. And and he doesn't need to be starting right now. I nope. think McGovern, what we've seen out of McGovern has been better. I think having somebody to push McGovern has been better. I think having some consistency next to McGovern has helped. I think having a better offensive line coach in Keith Carter has helped. I think having a better offensive coordinator to put them in better positions to play and have better calls to start with. And Nathaniel Hackett, I think that's helped. Where, when's the last time you can sit here as a Jets fan and go, they had two top 50 picks and they don't need either of them to play right away? It's been a long time. And you know what? A lot of people looked at that as, as a failure on JD to not get somebody that makes an immediate impact. But you know what? This is how you build sustained growth. Mm-hmm. You, you get these guys to have uh, their their redshirt years uh, where they can learn and kind of you know get get the idea of what we want from them going forward. And then year two, boom, hit the hit the floor running and and already be up to speed and already be exactly where we need them to be. Uh, and then we can do it with the next batch of of draft picks. The same thing, allow them to grow. Um, with McDonald, like you mentioned, I. Even if he is a world beater, I still think that he won't see the field as much because you know what? Uh, Huff was a world beater last year too, and he's still been a world beater throughout the preseason too. Throughout preseason, and he still only got maybe fifteen to twenty reps a a game, if if even that. So I, I, I don't see him really, you know, getting an extensive snap count even if he is uh a monster out there um i think the fact that huff is also there will also kind of uh take away those opportunities but next year next year i can see uh, if we bring Huff back also them being uh really a good tandem yeah i think so too the the thought of will mcdonald off one edge bryce huff off the other and jermaine and johnson rushing <laughs> on a guard uh, that's terrifying for an offense. Uh, I would, if I was a quarterback, I would, I would fake sick and, and not play that game. <laughs> like I, I would want no part of it. So I'm, I'm really excited to see that. And the future is very bright. The fact that they have the depth to do this is, is a testament to not only Joe Douglas for building the roster, but Robert Sala for coaching up this team. And I think that means a lot. Last really point does. I'm going to end with before we get on out of here. Um, hot takes slash bold predictions slash whatever you want to call it. Everybody needs to wake up and stop sleeping on McCole Hartman. And I know he got hurt, but it was just a little finger injury. He himself tweeted, you know, I'm fine. I'll be good. I should have caught the ball. That's what I'm worried about when you got hurt on a, an attempt to, on a deep ball diving catch. I don't care. A if dime, guy, by the way, by Zach. Oh, yeah. It was an absolute dime by Zach, first and foremost. Dime perfect, and a half. Perfect throw. Yeah. 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 That's a dime and a half to, you know, quote unquote, Zach Wilson. 
Um, totally. I don't care if he's not the most polished wide receiver. I don't care if, you know, he maybe is fourth or fifth on the team in catches. I don't think it's going to matter. This guy's a weapon and he's going to get used like a weapon. They're, the the Jets have already shown they're trying to find as many possible ways to get him the ball in space as they can because they know what he can do when he has the ball in his hands. And the one thing that I keep going back to, yes, Garrett Wilson is fantastic, and I expect him to be the Jets' top receiver by a wide margin. And when Rodgers is looking to go deep, I expect he's going to be looking Garrett's way first. But eventually, they're going to defenses are going to bracket Garrett with a safety. Eventually, they're going to start cheating. They're going to start playing single high and you're going to have Garrett on the left and you're going to have that safety all the way over to the left hash, if not completely past it. And you're going to have a wide open gap on the other side of the field with a corner on an island begging to be taken advantage of. And if there is one thing on top of everything else that Aaron Rodgers has shown throughout his career, he loves fast receivers. And if he can get a guy who can win on a go ball and get open deep, He's going to get him the ball and he's going to make him look really, really good. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a perfect example of a taller guy. No, you know, not quite the same body as McCole Hardman, but deep speed, elite deep speed, knew how to run a go route, knew how to get himself open, knew how to track the ball in the air. Christian Watson last year, again, a little bit different of a body, but same sort of player. Deep speed, ball tracking, get open and let me loft the ball over you and run under it. And if you can just run away from this guy, I, Aaron Rodgers, with my golden arm, will get you the ball. I think Hardman can have a couple plays like that. I think we're going to see some 60, 65 yard touchdown bombs to McCole Hardman when all he has to do is just outside release on a corner, get five steps into his break and take off and say, keep up with me. And people are undervaluing that aspect on top of the fact that you were talking about having another guy to fill in that outside receiver role. I've said this a lot on this show, and, and I can will continue to go back to it. Deep speed matters. Deep speed matters a lot. And it's important not only for the explosives that it can create, but almost more importantly, it's important to threaten defenses with the fear of deep speed to where, okay, you want to bracket Garrett with a safety. You want to play single high. You want to play cover one. You want to play cover three. You want to keep your free safety cheating towards Garrett so he can't beat you over top. Okay. And if McCole Hardman gets past you by half a step, it's a touchdown because your safety won't get over in time. And Rogers is going to see it and he's going to make the throw. That matters. I think McCole Hardman can be, let alone a factor in the ways that they're going to get him the ball. A huge factor as well, just as another person to worry about and as a decoy to give Garrett more opportunities to get those one on one looks to to not have to always have a safety cheated over to his side, because as good as Alan Lazard is, and I know that there's going to be some back shoulders balls and Lazard can, you know, get open and run and get some deep separation too. the the main fear that you put in NFL corners comes with speed. And if you have Garrett Wilson on one end of the field and Mecole Hardman on the other end of the field, you're basically asking a defense to pick your poison if they both go deep. And so I'm, I'm a lot, a lot higher on McCole Hardman than I think a lot of people are. And that's why I started this as hot takes slash bold predictions slash whatever you want to call it. Because this could be one where I'm completely and totally wrong. And if that's the case, then I'll admit it, reevaluate and move on. But but I really think he's going to be a factor in this offense. And it may not always still show up on the stat sheet, but in the game tape, it's absolutely going to matter. 
Oh yeah, I can see it too. And I think it's going to be uh, a gradual thing. I think in the beginning of the year, uh, it's going to be some spot plays that really tries to put the ball in his hand and let his electricity and speed take over. Uh, because they, I, I do remember them seeing, saying that they want to extend his route tree uh, and make him more of a uh, polished and developed wide receiver. And I think by the end of the season that he will be a step closer to that. And he, we might see him in a more traditional role uh, in addition to the, the, the little roles that we saw him, that we'll probably see him in, in the beginning of the season um, and just making him an all around weapon at that point. Uh, so yeah, I could definitely see him playing a huge role going forward. Uh, what that will amount to in stats and production it will yet to be seen, but uh, yeah, not not a guy that should be slept on at all. No, don't judge Nicole Hardman's year on what his statistics look like at the end of it. That's that's all I'm going to say, because the ways in which he's going to be utilized, the ways it's going to add to this offense, the ways it's going to help out other players on this offense, and most importantly, the fear it is going to strike in opposing defenses it is more important than than the couple of plays where it might actually come to fruition. And I'm, I cannot stress that enough because I feel like everybody in the world is just going, Oh, Hardman's this gadget guy. You know, he's, he can't be trusted to be our wide receiver three. He can't be trusted to be the wide receiver four. nonsense, nonsense. I don't care. I, I, I don't care at all. I think he can, I think he can win when you have that level of speed, when you have that explosiveness, it's a problem for defenses to have to figure out and the ways that we've already seen that the Jets are going to use him in as many ways as they possibly can, that's just more things defenses have to worry about. And if they're worried about Cole, they're not as worried about Garrett. And if that's not a good thing for the Jets offense, then I don't know what is. Yeah, it, like you said before, pick your poison. We've got many poisonous plants out there for you to choose. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This has been a, a very exciting, very fun preseason. Uh, the most fun training camp for the New York Jets that I can remember uh, basically ever. And now as the real fun here, begins. As we sit here gearing up, the real fun now begins. We are officially, as of today, two weeks away from the regular season uh, at the time we are recording this. Uh, or no, 15 days. 15 excuse me. Days. First, uh, forgot that game's on Monday. Monday night, September the 11th in New York. With the throwback jerseys on, it's going to be a, ma- a madhouse, and I absolutely can't wait. Oh, man, I, I wish I had tickets. I, I had an opportunity to get some cheap tickets earlier. I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll wait a little bit. Uh, I should not have done that. Uh, no. <laughs> and now I will have to settle for maybe a game against, uh, I don't know, somebody else in, in, in the future. It's not going to be this first game for sure. It's going to be something to see. I know all of you guys listening are going to be right there with us tuning in uh, like kids on Christmas morning. So enjoy it. Embrace it. I'll say it again before this season starts. It's going to feel like a blur. It's going to be crazy. It's going to feel like it goes by in a flash. Savor every moment of this. Really, truly take a second and, and soak it all in and just be glad that as Jets fans, as we've waited for so long, we're finally about to see this team play to the level of which we've been begging for them to play for a very, very long time. Enjoy every single minute of it. Appreciate you guys for stopping by. Matt, let the people know where they can find you, and let's wrap this one up. Uh, Matt, you can find me at ZazzyJet. And you can find me at AndrewGolden underscore 17. You can also follow the show at OKD Podcast. Thank you guys so much one more time for tuning in, and we will be back real, real soon. Bye.